Good morning again. It's been good to be with you. Face to face, I really appreciate that thought. I'm glad heaven will not be Zoom to Zoom. (laughs) We're going to see him face to face. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. That idea, once again, Joshua hit it in our hymn. Face to face is going to come to pass in our story as well with Peter. This is our final session in lessons from his life. Let's just begin reading at verse 31 of Luke chapter 22. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Now, I also was thinking about the name of this conference and how it came to be and how important it is. And I was thinking that in light of our story, you know, when a potter makes a vessel at the beginning, it's very fragile, isn't it? It's really not of any use. It's soft clay. And I think that potter has to wonder as he's moving along in the process, maybe it's not going quite like he thought it would. And he has to make a decision. Do I scrap this one or do I stick with it? You know, that soft clay isn't useful as a vessel yet. It has to be put through the fire and get all the water out of it. And then it becomes as hard as a rock. And that's what Peter needs to do. So here's his most difficult trial, the most challenging of his life. I think this is one we would just want to delete from our memory. But here it is preserved in the scripture. Now, if you're Luke and your job is to record the history of the Lord Jesus, would you have kept this one in? You had a lot to choose from. Would this make the final cut? I mean, doesn't this story about Peter make his followers look like failures? But remember, the purpose of our lessons here is to learn, to learn from Peter. So here are our two questions again in our stories here. What do we learn about Peter? And then what did Peter learn about himself and the Lord? And so the Lord had said, Satan has asked for you. He wants you. He wanted to bring Peter down. And here's what he's thinking. If he could destroy the strongest disciple of the Lord Jesus, he could take down any of his followers. Anyone could be brought down. He wants to destroy him. And so he says he wants to sift you like wheat. The word sift, of course, comes from the the world of farming. And you take the grain and you strain it to get rid of all the bad things. And to do that, you have to shake it up. You have to agitate it. And Satan is thinking if he can put Peter through the strainer, he could remove all of those good things in Peter 
and all of the things that would be useful would be gone. He thought he could ruin Peter. And so the the words are by the Lord, he wants to have you. He has asked for you that he can sift you like wheat. Well, what did Satan want to sift out? Well, the Lord gives us a clue there in verse 32. Verse 32, he says that your faith should not fail. Your faith is what he wanted to remove. His trust in the Lord. And you can be sure that with Satan's effort here, anything of Peter's flesh could be gone. All of that zeal and energy and devotion that we've been thinking about, that could be pushed through. But you know what's interesting? God wanted that to happen. Satan had a different goal. He wanted to get rid of the good. But the Lord was going to use that to get rid of the bad. The Lord has a whole different purpose. And so whatever came from God in Peter was permanent. That was untouchable. But the bad had to be removed. And so when we began, we thought about Michelangelo and what he said about a piece of marble. All he does is get rid of everything that's useless. And so the Lord is doing that. He's chipping away at Peter. But look at these words. But I have prayed for you. He has already prayed for Peter before anything has happened. That's a wonderful thought. The scriptures say he always lives to make intercession for them. And we usually think of as an after the fact kind of thing. When I've screwed up, the Lord's there to intercede. But here it's the Lord praying beforehand. This is preventive. And he tells Peter that. Isn't that nice to know? I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. He doesn't say this, I'm saying so I can tell you I told you so. He wants to help him. He wants to help him. But what did the Lord pray for? Now, I would think he would pray that Peter would not deny him. But that's not what he says. He prays that his faith should not fail. Well, did his faith fail? No, it did not. His courage failed, but not his faith. Because let me ask you, who's praying here? The Lord Jesus. Do his prayers work? Those prayers are going to be answered. So maybe Peter's natural gift as a man was courage. And that could fail, but not his faith. And then the Lord says this. This is so helpful. And when you have returned to me, not if you decide to come back, but when you do, it's going to happen. The restoration is already built into the prayer. What a wonderful thing to see. It's as good as done, Peter, even though he hasn't even strayed yet. So Peter could know this, that he could get through this. Brother Rich Brown, a missionary with New Tribes, said this once. He said, one thing in discipling that we find most helpful is to let the believers know what we're looking for when we're done so they can see where we're going. And that's what the Lord Jesus does here. What does he say? When you're turned around, when you're converted, when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. You're going to do this, Peter, and you're going to be a help to others. So Peter remembered that. 
And we've been looking how he follows up in his epistles. In 1 Peter 5.10, he says, May the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Peter says, he did that for me. And what's amazing here is what the Lord does. He's going to take the weakest part of Peter, the weakest moment of his life, and he's going to use that for what Peter can specialize in. Now, we think God must want to use the best of me, my talent, my skill. But the Lord says, no, I'm going to use your weaknesses because that's going to display my power the best. So the things we think we can give to God, he's really going to say, you know, there's something else I'd like to use. And so how important those words are, I have prayed for you. It seems to show us that the only reason that Peter was restored was because the Lord prayed for him. And so Satan could only go so far. Isn't that show you the power of prayer, the power that God has in prayer? But rather than just take that in and and be serious, or as Peter says, to be sober in his thinking, what does he say? He says, I'm ready. I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And so what we see here is his loyalty. I can do this. He is resolving to go. I'm going to stick it out. If that's death, if that's prison, that's fine. I can do this. Now, I mentioned in our first message that at the same time as I was studying Peter, I was studying Ruth. And so I kept hearing these two passages in my head. And the statement that Peter says, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death, sounds a lot like Ruth. Remember her best statement? She told Naomi, for wherever you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. But what do we do with Peter's statement? We look down on it, but with Ruth, we hold it up. So what's the difference then? The difference must be that Ruth's was a commitment of faith, but Peter's was a commitment of his flesh. And so now we have the next great lesson Peter needs to learn, and that's he needs to learn about his flesh. Now, when we read about the flesh, what is the flesh? In the most simple terms, it's what I can do. It's myself. Here's what I can do in my own strength. And Peter has to learn to understand his flesh and then to judge it. He has to learn what Paul learned, that he should have no confidence in the flesh. Paul said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. Hard for us to believe. And so when the Lord hears Peter's confidence here in his flesh, the Lord has to be very strong and he presses him. And here's what he says in verse 34. I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Remember Peter's loyalty? Now what do we see? Denial. We've been saying the whole time, Peter is a man of extremes and contrasts. How is he going to go from loyalty to death to denial? But that's what our flesh can do. And so the Lord's plan here in Luke 22 is masterful. It's an amazing chapter. And how Luke just lays it all out. 
And what the Lord is doing in just letting this happen, he's not going to stop Peter's self-confidence. He says, I'm ready to go with you. I'm ready. You know, the thing with the flesh is, even if you warn it, it's still confident it can do it. I can do this. But remember what we've been learning. It was confidence without knowledge. Unless he has that revelation of who God is and what God needs to do for him, it's just his own flesh. He hasn't learned yet how weak he is and how much he needs the Lord for every single moment of his life. So we have to learn the flesh has no power, absolutely no power to do what is right. And so here's what we learned before. Faith only deals with God. It's not faith in me, faith in someone else or faith in something. It can only be faith in God. And likewise, with the flesh, flesh only deals with us. God cannot use the flesh. My own ability in myself. And so look at verse 39. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that ye may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed. So here's Peter. And he goes to the prayer meeting. But what does he bring to the prayer meeting? Just his flesh. And you know, you can't bring your flesh to the prayer meeting. We're to pray in the spirit. We often don't think about that. And Peter finds he's powerless at the prayer meeting. The Lord said, can you pray and watch just for an hour? But none of the disciples could. The Lord said this over and over in Matthew. He said, watch and pray. That means wake up and be alert. But what does Peter do instead of praying? He sleeps. He's not awake. He's not on guard before the most difficult moment of his life. He's not watching. He's sleeping when he was told to be watching. So the lesson for Peter and for all of us Prayerlessness is the symptom of self-confidence. Why don't I pray? Because I don't think I need to. That's interesting. We pray. I prayed a lot this year when there was troubles, when there's a lot of challenges. But once things kind of lighten up a little bit, what happens to my time of prayer? And look at verse 49. Now, Judas has betrayed the Lord. The soldiers are coming in verse 49. When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Who do you think that was? (laughs) John tells us it was Peter. Did you see that? There's the flesh again. He had zeal. I want to help out, but there's no knowledge. And the Lord says, Peter, that's not going to work. Put away your sword. You're not going to need that here. I can do this. Let me at him. Confidence. But it's his flesh. And then Peter continues to slip. And notice 54. This is very telling. Having arrested him, that's the Lord Jesus, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. 
He's still a follower, but he's starting to follow a little further away. And his flesh is going to bring him into a very dangerous spot, right into the courtyard of the high priest where the trial was. Yeah, it was his flesh that gave him that confidence to go into the courtyard. But, you know, that flesh of his was no match for the young woman that spoke to him. And so watch how it happens now in verse 56. It says, and a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him face to face. And she said, this man was also with him, but he denied him, saying, woman, I do not know him. Denial number one. Verse 58. After a little while, another saw him and said, you are also of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. Denial number two. Now look at verse 59. Then after about an hour had passed, what did the Lord say? Can you not watch for one hour? Another hour passed and confidently affirmed, saying, surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. They recognized that country accent from Galilee. He couldn't hide. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Third denial. Now, here's our key verse, verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. So it's Luke and only Luke who gives us the most insight in this story when he tells of the look. Now, here's what's interesting. Back in our first message, we saw this exact same word when the Lord first met Peter. In John 142, it says, and he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him and the word there is to behold him, to look intently, to look inside of him, to look deeply. It was a close, penetrating look. And now that one look face to face with Peter. hits his conscience, but now think of this for a minute. What would happen if the Lord had said just one word right then? What if the Lord said, Peter, what would have happened? Peter would have been found out. He would have been exposed. I'm sure he would have been arrested for being a follower of the Lord. And so far, he had been denying denying the Lord and telling these lies, and they worked up to this point. So the Lord could not even afford to make one little gesture of recognition to Peter. But he didn't need to. Because that one look said it all. He compressed everything he wanted to say in a look. So what was in the look? Was it anger? I remember my father when I got in trouble. That look. (laughs) Oh, it wasn't anger. Was it a look of disappointment? Perhaps. Was it a look of pain? I'm sure it was. You know what this was? It was a look of compassion. 
The psalmist says, the Lord is full of compassion. Do you know what the word compassion, our English word means? It's two parts to suffer together. To suffer together. The Lord is full of compassion. Remember when the Lord saw the multitude who were like sheep without a shepherd? It said the Lord saw them and he was compassionate. When the Lord saw the widow of Nain, not only had her husband died, but now her child, it said the Lord saw her and had compassion on her. When the prodigal son came home, the father saw him and it says he had compassion on them. And so that look of compassion spoke of the love that the Lord Jesus had for Peter. He knew what Peter had said. He knows what Peter has done. But that single look said, Peter, I still love you. And that look from the Lord Jesus would crush him. And he's thinking, how can he love me after what I just did? I denied him. And it causes him to shed those tears of repentance. It says here at the end of the verse, he went out and he wept bitterly. You know, we've been learning about Peter that he's really someone that helps us. And here he's a bit of a mirror. When we see Peter, we often see ourselves. A number of you have told me that. He reveals who we are just by what he does. And so Peter is the exact right person for this role. The Lord chose him wisely because we can relate to him. Remember when Peter sunk in the water when he got his eyes off the Lord? And now when the Lord has his eyes on Peter, Peter sinks. He sinks in brokenness. And so what's the result of the look? What did it say? Peter remembered the word of the Lord. And it was the word of the Lord that got Peter every time. He remembered what the Lord had said. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. But you know what it is? It's at the lowest point when the grace of Christ comes in. In our lessons of grace, we said grace goes down. It reaches the lowest. It reaches those who are humble. And so the Lord is going to restore Peter. And Luke, and only Luke tells us these two things. There was a prayer before and a look afterward. And so here's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ being shown to Peter. He prayed for him before. And then there's this look afterward. And the same is true for us. There's a prayer before. We talked about the Lord Jesus Christ who makes intercession for us. Remember that he's already praying for you for what's ahead. But then he also looks at us afterward. And maybe you wonder, well, he's not here face to face like he was with Peter. How does he look at us? When we look at the word of God, we see him, don't we? We see who he is. We also see ourselves. So Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so just by looking at Christ, that changes us. By looking at Him in His, in his Word. Transformed by looking. Did you know this weekend, just by looking at the Lord Jesus in his word, we've been transformed. 
We might not sense it, but it's true. And Peter needed this because he's had an awful time the last few days. Think of it. Not just one failure, failure, but a whole bunch. He failed at the foot washing. Oh, you don't need to, to wash me, Lord. He failed when he boasted that he would not deny. He failed, we just saw, when he was sleeping, when he was told to be watching. He failed when he cut off the servant's ear to try to help. And he failed here when he denies the Lord. What failed? His flesh failed. I like the psalmist says this in Psalm 73 and 26. My flesh and my heart fail. There's a truth. But look how he finishes. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. When you are strengthened, when you are returned to me, Peter, you will strengthen your brethren. And so now we know what happens. The Lord is taken away to be crucified. But what's Peter thinking? Now, I know the story of the scripture just follows the Lord when he goes to the cross. But no doubt, Peter, we're thinking he's a real person. What's he going through? What's he thinking? The picture he had of the Lord Jesus was changing that night as his Lord is being taken away. He's thinking everything that I'm following is leaving. The other disciples have left. And so he's disheartened. His zeal is gone. He's discouraged. His courage is gone. And he's disillusioned. His hope is gone. Do you know what it means to be disillusioned? Here's what the dictionary says. To be disappointed in someone that one discovers to be less than one had believed. I thought this was the Christ. And now he's on a cross. And so the Lord has died. He's buried in the grave and. To Peter, all of his hope is gone. All that he believed seemed to be in vain. All those years with the Lord Jesus. Seemed like a waste. And then his phone buzzed. He got a text. Now, I don't know if Peter had a phone. But you know what? All of my news comes over a text now. Sometimes it's really bad news. And so he gets this text early in the morning. The stone on the tomb is rolled away. (laughs) Peter says, what? I'm on my way. Look at verse 12. Go to Luke 24. Verse 12 of Luke 24. Peter arose and ran to the tomb and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves and he departed marveling to himself at what had happened. That word marvel is sometimes translated wonder, meaning I'm not really sure something's happening here. What just happened? He's puzzled. He's surprised. He's sort of on the fence between belief and doubt. You know what John says of himself when he was there with him? says, John believed, almost as a saying, well, not so sure about Peter. But look what it says in Mark chapter 16. In verse 6, to those at the tomb, the angel says, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. 
there you will see him as he said to you. So a few minutes later, Peter gets another text. And it's the Lord is alive and he wants to see you, Peter. And Peter can't believe it. His mind is blown. (laughs) You know, that one little statement from the angel, tell Peter, shows us that the Lord was not angry. It was a look of love. Peter had denied the Lord, but the Lord didn't deny him. And so the Lord, we know, shows himself to his disciples. But guess who gets to see him first? (laughs) You know, it doesn't tell us that in Matthew and Mark or John, but Luke says in just a passing comment in verse 34 of chapter 24, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then Paul makes it so clear in 1 Corinthians 15 and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. So of the disciples, Peter saw him first. Isn't that grace? The Lord's thinking, well, Peter's always first. Peter gets to see me first of the disciples. And so they had a reunion. Can you imagine that meeting? Where is that story? It's not in the Bible. Even Peter doesn't write about it in the letters. It must have been a very emotional time. But now turn to John 21. You see, John 21 is what I call the postscript to Peter's denial. You know, in this chapter, Peter's name is mentioned 13 times. There's a real good reason why John 21 is in our Bible. And John 21 answers all of our questions about Peter. How did Peter go from being a denier of the Lord to being a leader of the church after the cross? You know, without John 21, we would never know. So look how he starts. Verse 1. John says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. (laughs) So here we go again. We're back on the shore where everything seemed to started. In Luke's gospel, he tells us about the first catch of fish. And now in John's gospel, we hear about the last one. And so Peter thinks his life is going to go right back to where he started. Just like our brother Canaan told us in our time of prayer, I'm going to go fishing. And so Peter goes to his resume He crosses off the word disciple, and he's back to Peter the fisherman. And so John 21 becomes the complement to Luke 5. And Simon finds his old boat in storage and pulls it out and goes fishing again. Back to fishing, back to the flesh. Isn't it interesting how close the two words are here for Peter? That's what he did. That's what he could do on his own. And so he leads a fishing party. 
And who's listed first? As always, verse 2, Peter. They all go with. And he's thinking, that's something I know how to do. I won't screw this up. At least I can be successful at something like fishing. But they fish all night and they catch nothing. Has that happened before? And I'm sure one of the disciples wondered, I wonder if the Lord's nearby again. We'll look at verse 4. But when the morning now had come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And so the sun comes up and there's the Lord on the shore. It's been a, a fruitless night. But as soon as the Lord shows up, there's going to be a blessing in the morning. And what does the psalmist say? Weeping might endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And so Peter, days before, was weeping, and now joy can come. And so this man hollers from shore, housed fishing. Got nothing, they say. And so then the Lord offers some fishing advice, like he's done before. Remember before he said, why don't you go out into the deep? And now it's even simpler. He says, why don't you just turn around? The Lord just had to turn them around. Isn't that what the Lord does for all of us? When you're returned to me, Peter. And so the Lord says this in verse 6. Cast the nut on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and they were now not able to draw it in because of the multitude of the fish. They couldn't even bring it in. So even the master fisherman, Peter, didn't know about this spot. Peter thought he had knowledge about fishing. But once more, he had to trust the Lord's word. He doesn't even know it's the Lord's word at this point. Remember before when the Lord said, let down your net? He says, "Okay, that's your word. I'll let down the net. And so the word makes the difference again. And they followed his word. They tried everything else. And to their shock, the nets were full. They can't even lift them. And I can just see John and Peter counting them. That's what a fisherman does to make sure they had a good catch. 153. 153. You see, the Lord just keeps hitting on this point with them. You need my knowledge. You need my word. You need my power. Without me, you can do nothing. Even something you think you know how to do well. Like fishing. And so then John is in the boat. And he looks at the fish. Then he looks back at shore at the man. And he looks at the fish. And then he looks at the man. He says, I've seen this before. He says, Peter, that's the Lord. And Peter jumps into the water. No question like the other time when he was walking on the water. Is it you, Lord? No, he swims to shore as fast as he can. And I wondered, why is that detail in the story? Why is that important? I think to show us that Peter was not reluctant. <laughs> if you were Peter after all you'd been through, maybe you'd just kind of hold back, right? and Just let things kind of develop. But he can't wait to see the Lord. So what a meeting they must have had. I can imagine they embraced as Peter's soaking wet. <laughs> He can't wait to see the Lord. And then there's another amazing thing. I didn't notice this before, but look at verse 11. 
Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish. 153, and although there were so many, the net was not broken. It said earlier that it was so heavy for the disciples they could barely lift it. But now here, here Peter all by himself. You know what the Lord says? My burden is light. <laughs> he was going to strengthen him. Then look at verse 15. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And we all know this story well. Three questions by the Lord Jesus, which reflect the three denials by Peter. And then I started going through my pile of notes. And I started to notice a lot of threes here. There's a lot of threes in Peter's life. There were three commands in the garden to watch and pray. There were three predictions by the Lord that Peter would deny him. There were three promises that Peter made that he would not deny the Lord. There are three denials by Peter. There are three questions from the Lord here in John 21. There are three commands to feed my sheep. And it says in verse 14, this is the third time that Jesus had showed himself alive. Do you think the Lord is making it obvious? Peter, I remember the three denials. Let's talk about it now and get it over with. Let's get it behind us. Do you remember Peter's three promises? Let me just remind you. In Matthew and Mark, it's the same. All men will be offended, but not me. I will never deny you. Everyone else, but not me. In Luke, I will go to prison and death for you. I will never deny you. In John 13, the Lord says, I'm going away. And Peter says, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. I will never deny you. And so the Lord in this extended conversation with Peter is going to address each one of those. And so the Lord wisely directs Peter back to that moment. What Peter had said that he loved the Lord more than anyone. He said, if everyone else forsakes you, I won't. And so the Lord asks him now, do you love me more than these? And Peter can't compare his love to the Lord compared to the other disciples love for the Lord. He can't answer that one. So he just has to say, Lord, you know, I love you. Notice he doesn't add the words more than these. He can't say this. And what does the Lord say? Here's the grace. Feed my lambs. He's saying, Peter, I'm going to use you. I'm not done with you. You feed my lambs. And there's this promise, feed my lambs. He's saying, follow me in being a shepherd. Notice he says, feed my lambs. They're the Lord's lambs. And the Lord as a shepherd would never entrust his lambs to anyone he wasn't confident could take care of him. And so now we get a new title for Peter. Peter the shepherd. Did Peter learn it? In his epistle in 1 Peter 2.25, he says, You are like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter's saying, I was too. I went astray. And then he writes to the elders in 1 Peter 5, Shepherd the flock of God. You know what I see in these stories? 
I see the Lord just working with all of Peter's challenges and his weakness. And so the next one, Peter had said, I will go to prison and death. Now look at verse 18 of chapter 21. They continue to talk. And the Lord says, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. He says, when you were young, you were independent. You chose where you wanted to go. But when you're an old man, you're going to be dependent upon others. And they're going to lead you into places you don't want to go. You're going to get into suffering. And so the Lord says, follow me into suffering. The Lord even shows how Peter is going to die. It says with his hands outstretched. Just like the Lord suffered and died. And so Peter writes in second, in first Peter chapter two, he says, for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. And so the Lord said, follow me into suffering. The third point was when Peter said, why can't I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for you. Back then, the Lord said, you're not ready to follow me now, but you will be later. And so in the scene here, Peter, it seems, is following the Lord. Then he looks back and he sees John. And he says, Lord, what's going to happen to him? Is he going to die like I'm going to die? And the Lord says this. If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? He's saying, if he's still here before I come back again, what's that to do with you? He says, you follow me. Don't worry about John. You just follow me. You know, if I'm looking at other people, I'm really not following the Lord. And so the Lord is saying this, follow me steadfastly. Just be occupied with me. You know, when I was young, I would have to admit a lot of my following was following my parents. This is what they like. This is what they believe. I'm going to go with it. And then I started to follow friends. But you know what the Lord is telling all of us this weekend? Just follow me. Just be occupied with me. Remember at the end of the transfiguration, it says they saw no one but Jesus only. And so now Peter's been restored. And although he was following afar off, now he can follow close. And so Peter writes this in his epistle in Second Peter. Beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the air of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's saying, don't get off the pathway. Follow me. And where's the pathway? It's in the pathway of grace by what God is going to give you, not what you're going to do for me. And so the Lord says these three, three things. Follow me as a shepherd. Follow me into suffering. Follow me in steadfastness. The Lord is saying, you will do what I did. You're going to do what I did. 
But I have a question. Turn to Acts chapter 2 now. The question is, we know the Lord ascends and goes back to heaven after the resurrection. Well, what's going to happen to the work? The work that began at the cross. How is it going to continue in the book of Acts? The Lord said he would build his church. Who's going to be a bridge between what happened in the Gospels and what happens in the book of Acts? Well, we've been learning the Lord has the perfect man to help him out. It's Peter. And in Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 4, and Acts 10, we have four sermons of Peter. And we give him a new title. He's Peter the Preacher. And it's very interesting. If you study those those messages Peter gives... They're full of the Old Testament scripture. He brought the word of the Lord. He got it. He learned it. It's interesting. If you read Acts Acts chapter 2, it's basically just the Old Testament scriptures strung together. Here's a good lesson on how to do a good message. Just put a lot of scriptures together and connect them. And so he preaches his first sermon, weaving the scriptures together. He brought the word. And look what happens. Look at verse 41 now. Verse 41 of chapter 2. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. They heard the word. In Acts 4, another one of his messages. How be it or however many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So Peter does go fishing again, but not for fish. And he dips his net down into the water at Pentecost and up come 3,000 souls. He does it again and up come 5,000 souls. And Peter writes, he's convinced in in his epistle, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. It's the word. And so for the rest of Acts Peter is just empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's bold. I wish we could look at all. Let me just show you a highlight or two. Look at Acts chapter 3. Here's one of those messages. He says this. His servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go, but you denied the Holy One in the just and asked for a murder to be granted to you. Excuse me, Peter? You're preaching about denying the Lord? How can Peter be the one to preach about denying the Lord? If Peter came to this conference, would you give him the seminar on denial? Or would you say, maybe we'll just hold on that, Peter, a little bit and see what happens. How can Peter say these things? Because he's been forgiven. He's been cleansed. Uh, Peter understood the forgiveness of God. He's completely restored. And he could say, yes, I did deny the Lord. But the Lord has brought me back. In fact, now he can say it with conviction. He could testify. And so other people will listen to him. He knew what forgiveness was. He knew what grace was. He knew what restoration was. And the only person to say this message was not a self-righteous person, but it was Peter, the one who did wrong and was forgiven. And so I see a lot of irony in how God works with Peter. God uses our weaknesses. 
the area of denial. The one who denied the Lord is the one who preaches about denial. Turn to Acts 5. And now in Acts 4, 5, and 12, it gets tough. Because he brings the Lord, the word of the Lord, there's a consequence. And Peter goes to prison three times, and we have to retitle him now, Peter the prisoner. And what did he say before? I'm ready to go to prison. And so these are dangerous times, and the suffering intensifies. If you study the three imprisonments of Peter, they get tougher and tougher. They were learning about suffering. But look at verse 41 now of Acts 5. It says, so they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. And so now it's an honor to be suffering for the Lord. Wait a minute. This is the same Peter that said, Lord, you're not going to have to suffer. Now he says it's an honor. And here's what he writes in first Peter two: when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, This is commendable before God. And so Peter learns patience. So again, the irony, his confidence, I'll go to prison. The one willing to go to prison becomes a prisoner. One more, Acts 12, it's my favorite. My favorite one. Now in Acts chapter 12, these are dangerous times. James has just been executed. Peter is next. Verse 4. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him. Sixteen guards over Peter, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, The night Peter was sleeping, that night, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now, we know what happens. Peter's in prison the night before his execution. He'll die. But down the road, the believers are having a prayer meeting. The Lord hears the prayer. And what happens in prison? Peter's shackles fall off. The doors open up, and the angels lead him out. It's the most amazing story. But you know what stuck out to me? It said Peter was sleeping. That should have been the most fearful moment of his life. The night before he dies. But he's content. He's content with the will of God. And he's thinking, whatever the Lord wants, I will trust him. Where is his fear? It's gone. And so now I'm going to call him Peter the sleeper. You know, Peter got into a lot of trouble for sleeping. He was always sleeping when he should have been awake in the garden. He was asleep three times. He was told not to sleep at the transfiguration. He was asleep. But now when he should have been awake for fear, he's asleep. Does that remind you of anyone else? Someone asleep on a boat during a storm? The Lord Jesus. So how did Peter sleep that night? He slept like a rock. (laughs) 
You see, Peter is now that rock. And again, we see that irony. The one who sleeps when he's told to stay awake now can sleep instead of being afraid. And from this point on in the Bible, Peter seems to vanish from the scripture. But he's still around for 30 years, 30 years. But we don't hear much from him. Now, after all that, as an older man, he picks up a pen and he starts to write. And now he's Peter, the writer, first and second Peter. And he wrote in his epistles what he's learned. We've been looking at that. And so his epistles are the summary of what he's learned. He says, here's what I've learned. And he's willing to be humbled to show his mistakes. And he teaches what he has learned the hard way. And he weaves those things together into his epistles. And it's a testimony of how God uses the weak things of this world. Do you know, even the illustrations in his epistles are people like himself. Who does Peter use as a good example? Lot. Would you choose Lot as your good example? What can you find good to say about Lot? He had a lot of failure. But Peter found one good quality from this man, and he said, and he delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. And isn't that exactly what the Lord Jesus does with us too? We're all a trophy of his grace. And so the purpose of First Peter is that Peter wants to strengthen the suffering saints and give them the hope of glory. And so you know what? Peter is a great man that shows us the power of God in a person. It's the power of God in a man. And Peter writes it this way in Second Peter 1.3. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. And in 1 Peter 1.5, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Did Peter's faith fail? No, the power of God kept him. And so here's Peter. From a fisherman, to a disciple, to an apostle, to a shepherd, to a servant, to a rock. You know, Peter's resume that we've looked at is a long one. And that's probably true of all of us, too, as we go through our experience with the Lord. And that's what God is doing in our lives. He's taking us like Peter, just clay, and he's turning us into living stones. And so that's the story of Peter and the lessons from his life. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for the wonderful word of God. We thank you for the amazing grace that was shown to all of us. We thank you that it's pictured in Peter. Lord, we thank you how real he was and honest. We thank you for his emotions and his contrasts and his extremes. We thank you that you have not hidden that from us, but it's preserved there so that we can learn from him and to see that we can trust you. And so no matter what suffering anyone is going through right now, we can be sure the glory will follow. And we just thank you for the Lord Jesus, who was so patient and compassionate with Peter. And we know he's the same God, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.